from uh, about 50 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hey, Murder Fam, and welcome back to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and this is Serial Saturday where every Saturday we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Craig Price. Craig Price was born on October 11th, 1973 in Warwick, Rhode Island, So let's get into some history for that time. This year we see the Alaska Oil Pipeline Bill was passed and that allowed the construction of the pipeline to access oil from the north slope of Alaska. Also in 1973, the Supreme Court of the United States made abortion a constitutional right with Roe v. Wade. Over 200 Lakota Native Americans and other members of the American Indian Movement, which is a militant civil rights organization, began to occupy Wounded Knee in South Dakota. It was historically the site of a massacre of 300 unarmed Sioux by the U.S. Calvary. The fourth and largest Arab-Israeli conflict began as Egypt and Syrian militaries attacked Israel and Israel shot down a Libyan passenger plane. This is known as the Yom Kippur War. The Spanish Prime Minister was killed by Basque terrorists. Students in Greece began rioting, so martial law was imposed. The Endangered Species Act of 1973 was signed into law to protect species and the ecosystems upon which they depend. The Royal Navy protected its fishing boats in Icelandic waters during the Cod War, which was a dispute over who had the fishing rights in the North Atlantic, the United Kingdom, or Iceland. Also in 1973, the Mariner 10 spacecraft launched and its mission was to become the first probe to study the planet Mercury and it succeeded in becoming the first spacecraft to visit two planets during a single mission because it also passed by Venus on its way. Popular movies this year were Deliverance, Jesus Christ Superstar, American Graffiti, and The Exorcist. And lastly, Elvis Presley's Aloha from Hawaii television special was seen around the world by over 1 billion viewers. So this was the atmosphere that Craig was born into. Now his parents were John and Shirley, and he has one brother and one sister. 
John was a manager at a PepsiCo warehouse and Shirley worked as a secretary at their local Kmart. They lived in the Buttonwoods neighborhood of Warwick, Rhode Island. This area was established in the late 19th century as a religious summer community and it still remains a quiet waterfront with year-round residents. Photos show a beautiful, historic-looking area that anyone would want to raise their children in. He grew up in a smaller, branch-style house in what was described as a very friendly neighborhood. John and Shirley were said to be very friendly, the family quite normal. Local residents waved at the Price family as they drove past and were met with smiles and a wave back. Yet another former neighbor said that he believed Craig was just a normal, average kid who simply lived down the street. Nothing about this family stood out or seemed mm, off. A writer, Mark Arsenault, spoke with Craig Price later in life. Here is an excerpt of his article he wrote for the Providence Journal titled, quote, Into Another World. Craig Price was nine or ten by his best election, the first time he wished that someone would die. It was August. He was about to race his new road runner bicycle against a Buttonwoods kid with a new Huffy. He had decorated the chain guard with Pepsi stickers and renamed his bike the Pepsi Road Runner. Price was wearing a blue Pepsi t-shirt, blue Pepsi jogging pants, and blue sneakers with Pepsi reflection stickers on the heels. His father's Pepsi work helmet sank low on his head. But as the race was about to start, he says he heard someone yell a racial slur. He ignored it. A golf ball hit the pavement and bounced against his leg. Price turned around. An older kid, maybe 19, with straggly hair, was glaring at Price from a driveway. The guy had two friends with him. The teen used another racial slur. Again, Craig ignored. They threw another golf ball at him, and more slurs, and then headed to a car, a beat-up Mustang. The kids got on with their bicycle race. Price says he heard an engine roar and that the Mustang pulled up alongside him. The kids inside screamed racial slurs. Craig said he went into a panic and tried to outrun the car. He felt the teens were going to kill him. He pedaled onto a curb and dumped the bike. He mangled the chain guard, tilted the seat, and bent the handlebars. Price wanted those kids to die. He picked up his busted bike and went home. Craig said, It could most definitely be said that the Pepsi Roadrunner situation was among the earliest kindling that nourished the flame that consumed my life and the life of others. Unquote. So Price says he didn't develop an outlet for anger when he was a child welled inside of him, quote, maybe that anger grew in an unnatural way, is something he theorizes. Eventually, the anger released all at once like a geyser. This is how he describes it. Price traces the seed of this emotion, the earliest link on the chain, to racism. 
Like the time he was five and the other kids wondered, quote, where his tail is, unquote. Like when other kids were served soda in glasses and he was the only one with a paper cup. So that's kind of a summation of that article, and I will post the link to the article in the podcast notes. The The author actually wrote out some of the racial slurs, but I'm not comfortable saying those, so you can read the article if you'd like. But anyway, to the locals, he was thought of as a nice, good-natured boy. Nothing in Price's background explained his rage. By all accounts, he was from a stable home where both parents worked to provide a comfortable life for their children. In school, Craig became active in sports, playing football and basketball. So again, he himself stated that around nine years old, he began having dark thoughts about dead people and he believed this was a catalyst. Now, as he moved into his teenage years, things began to change for the worse. According to True Crime England, he knew he should calm down and straighten himself out, but he found it very difficult to do so, and he said he joined a local youth gang. He started getting into trouble with the law as he began building a healthy criminal record of breaking and entering, theft, stalking, Assault, using drugs including LSD, and even being a peeping Tom. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Craig was also beginning to display violence at home. His parents forced to call the police to come and help them deal with his violent temper. At 13 years old, he was stronger and bigger than most of the other kids in the neighborhood. So this is where we're going to have to stop and reflect on his childhood because he became a murderer in his teens. So Craig's case, it's a difficult one to read because I couldn't find really any background information about either of his parents. There was no information that either parent had been in any trouble throughout their own lives. I also found nothing showing either of his siblings had any behavioral or conduct issues during their lives either. Now, he states that there was one instance where, at about nine years old, he was bullied due to his race, that he felt those teenage boys were going to hurt him and he was scared, as any child would definitely be. So we all know racism hurts children. According to Harvard Medical School, racism hurts children in real and fundamental ways. Biologically, we are truly just one race, sharing 99.9% of our genes, no matter the color of our skin or what part of the world we were born in. Racism and its effects can lead to chronic stress for children, which can lead to actual changes in hormones that cause inflammation in the body which is a marker of chronic illness. 
We've already proven that stress, even on a mother during pregnancy, can affect the fetus before it is even born. Stress is bad. He gave no other instance where he was physically assaulted or anything in his earlier childhood, but my guess would be that he could have felt that he was treated differently in the then middle class neighborhood and school. But he still had both parents at home. He lived a very middle class existence. He wanted for nothing. There is no information about him being neglected or abused in any way at home. I found no information about any underlying health conditions, head injuries, nothing. So then we must lean more toward childhood antisocial behavior, which includes, you know, multiple violations of social rules, violating the rights of others, deceitfulness, theft, and reckless disregard for self and others. There's usually drinking and or drug use causing trouble, hanging out in groups that, quote, hang out in the streets, unquote. We know he joined a neighborhood gang, but more importantly, his behavior became quickly and increasingly violent to the point that his own parents had to call the police to come and deal with him. I see pretty clear indicators of antisocial behaviors. But let's continue. On the summer night of July 27, 1987, Craig silently went across his neighbor's yard and climbed the fence of the house on the other side, and then he waited. The house was rented by 27-year-old Rebecca Spencer. She had been in the process of packing the house up as her lease was up in just a few days. She had changed into her nightgown and laid down on the living room floor to watch TV. Her two children were not at home, having been picked up by her ex-husband, their father. She then fell asleep on the floor. Not long after, 13-year-old, 7th grader Craig gained entry into her home and went into the kitchen. He picked up a 10-inch kitchen knife and walked into the living room, where Rebecca was peacefully sleeping. Apparently, he stood there and watched her sleep, like a stalking Michael Myers, if you will. He then began stabbing her over and over, 58 times. Yes, fam, 58. He punctured her heart, liver, lungs, face, and head. He then left the house and went home. She was found the next morning by her brother, who was returning from his night shift job. There was no evidence to be found, and the police went door to door looking for information, but there was none, and the case went cold. Two years later, the now 15-year-old Craig was a new freshman in high school. He was described as thriving and popular in school. On the evening of September 1st, 1989, Craig smoked some weed and dropped some acid. He then went over to another neighborhood house and stood outside just for a moment before letting himself into the home of 39-year-old Joan Heaton. Joan also had two daughters, one 10 and the other just eight. 
It is believed that Craig had made some noise that alerted Joan to his presence. She found him in her kitchen and began to scream. Craig lunged forward and grabbed Joan, strangling her. He then took a knife out of a brand new set that she had literally just purchased that day and stabbed her 57 times. Her daughters heard their mother scream and came out to see what was going on. Now this is where I put my disclaimer, disclaimer, okay? Skip ahead 30 seconds or so if you can't hear this. Okay. So Craig then grabbed the 10 year old and began stabbing her as well while she begged her sister to call the police. As the eight year old went for the phone, Craig then grabbed her and stabbed her as well. He stabbed the 10 year old 62 times, the eight year old 30 times before he then grabbed a kitchen stool and crushed her skull. He stabbed the mother and the girls so brutally and savagely that he literally broke off the knife blades into their bodies, only pulling back a handle. He would actually have to stop and grab another knife to continue. He went on to cover two of the bodies and then he left the house silently. Three days later, Joan and the girl's family began to wonder what was going on. It wasn't like them to not call, and when they tried to call, there was no answer. So her mother and her sister decided to go to Joan's house to check on her and the girls. The scene they walked into was beyond horrific. This murder signaled that there was a murderer in the area. The first murder had been thought to have been committed by someone she had known. This proved that theory to be wrong. Now, the murderer had stepped into some blood on the floor and left a sock print, meaning he had removed his shoes, and the shoe size was determined to be 13. An expert recognized the anger and frenzy and said it was highly probable that the murderer would have cut himself in the process and how right he was. Police officers driving around the area saw Craig and decided to talk to him because he was a street kid and probably had heard rumblings of something. But as they walked up, they saw he had a bandage on his hand and they asked him how he got it. He told them he had been drinking, got drunk, and punched a car window, breaking the glass, and it cut him. And the officers thought that was strange, considering there had been no report of any such incident in the area. They went on their way. They then did a background check on him and saw that he had quite the history with the police, including stalking as well as breaking and entering. On top of that, a friend of Craig's came forward, stating Craig was bragging about killing Rebecca, the victim from two years prior. It was at this point the police obtained a search warrant. They served the warrant at Craig's parents' home and began to search. Craig had been asleep and reportedly went right back to sleep too. Eventually they found a plastic bag with bloody knives, blood-soaked clothing, and the sock that matched the pattern found at the scene in a shed in his backyard. 
He was awakened and immediately arrested. It was said that he showed no emotion during the entire process. He blamed racism and the result of that made him vow revenge. He stated that Rebecca's brother was the one who had screamed racial slurs at him, but the brother completely denied ever speaking to Craig or any of the other boys that hung around the neighborhood. Since Craig was a minor, he could only be sentenced to time until his 21st birthday. Then, after only serving a few years, his records would be sealed. It was then that they ordered him to have a psychological exam and therapy. Now, I happened to find him on caselaw.com, so I'm going to read you some of the actual court information because it states it way better than I ever could, okay? So, on October 23rd, 1990, the family court justice again was informed by DJCS representatives that the defendant would not participate in the evaluation process because of his concern relating to possible civil commitment. The report indicated that the defendant had no interest in treatment and wanted simply to forget about his crimes, complete his stay at the training school, and leave. However, Dr. Prophet also filed a report at the request of the DJCS that set forth an extremely foreboding prognosis in the event that the defendant should continue to refuse to participate in evaluation and treatment. Quote, First, there can be no doubt that Craig Price is a murderer of the serial type. At this point, as you well know, Craig, on advice of counsel, is unwilling to discuss his state of mind at the time of the murders. I suspect from all that I have seen and know of these murders that Craig was in a psychotic rage at the time of these events and that he should probably be classified as a serial murderer, disorganized type. At this point, and without great cooperation and assistance from Craig, it cannot be determined what are the psychodynamic underpinnings of Craig's behavior. Without an accurate formulation as to why these things occurred, it is virtually certain that Craig Price will not be able to demonstrate significant improvement or get well on his own. Without the assistance of a skilled therapist through the long and arduous process of examination of his thoughts and fantasies about what happened and his understanding of his reasoning or lack of the same for engaging in this behavior, it is unlikely that Craig Price will be significantly different and therefore at less risk of repeating this behavior upon his release than he was on the day of his commitment to your facility. Secondly, the mere passage of time is unlikely to produce a change for the better in Craig Price, and there is no reason whatsoever to suspect that the passage of time alone can take the place of an aggressive treatment program for this individual. Thirdly, Craig Price's unwillingness to discuss the circumstances surrounding his behavior and his tendency to minimize and deny the importance of that behavior, including the view that these murders occurred in the service of efforts on his part to rob the adult victims, are but further examples of psychopathological symptomology at work.
Finally, it is my opinion that Craig Price suffers from a substantial disorder of thought, mood, orientation, perception, and memory, which grossly impairs his judgment, behavior, capacity to recognize reality, and ability to meet the ordinary demands of life. In short, it is my view that Craig Price suffers from a major mental illness for which treatment is required. While that treatment can now be rendered at your facility, there may come a time when Craig Price will require treatment in a more secure, forensic, psychiatric setting. I would suggest, therefore, that you continue to pursue with Craig Price the need for him to engage in meaningful treatment and that you continue to make available to him the opportunity to meet with a therapist to discuss these matters. You should not, under any circumstance, adopt or accept his view that he is not in need of treatment, nor should you take his refusal to be anything other than a manifestation of the pathology underlying the behavior which caused him to be sentenced to your facility. Craig Price, despite his outward appearances and despite his sometimes charming personality, is an individual who is in dire need, in my opinion, of the best and most extensive treatment that can be made available. Even with that, it may very well be that Craig Price will not be in a position where he can be safely placed in the community for a significant period of time into the foreseeable future and beyond. Unquote. Nevertheless, the defendant continued to refuse to carry out the ordered evaluation and therapeutic process. So once his 21st birthday was just a few months away, the court told him that he would be held past his birthday, being charged with contempt of court for continuing to refuse to cooperate in a mental health evaluation. Once he heard that, he miraculously decided that he would comply with the order to undergo psychological and psychiatric evaluation. The doctor that tried to work with him stated Craig was flat out lying to him regarding his crimes. Due to this, he was held in criminal contempt of court and sentenced to 25 years in prison. 10 years had to be served and 15 might be suspended with probation. This was the absolute maximum punishment the judge thought he could legally give to Craig because as we all know, he was far too dangerous to be set free. And we know this to be true because in April 2017, Craig walked into another inmate's cell and began stabbing him. The inmate tried to run, but Craig chased him, tackled him, and continued to stab him. It has been revealed that that attack was premeditated. So now his current release date is listed as September 2044. So guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram, at serial underscore killing, or on the YouTube video. Consider becoming a sponsor, and thank you so much for listening. And for once, I'll tell you who next Saturday will be. I'm going to cover the Golden State Killer since he has been overwhelmingly requested. 
Thanks again, guys. You are the best. I love all of you and have a great day.